we are in this introductory class for the Adhyasa Bhashyam of Adi Shankaracharya. I just want to emphasize that this is an introductory class. We are not really going to go through it line by line because that would be a really full course. It would take uh, months and months to uh, read this. This is so deep and there is so much that has been written about it. I'll tell you some, some of the stuff that has been written, the sub-commentaries in the next class. But this is just like a filler. We have three classes in between uh, two Upanishads. We completed the Katha Upanishad and we're going to take up, my plan is to take up the Mundaka Upanishad next. Um, so uh, the classes will stop for a month in April. And so I thought uh, maybe these classes, the three Wednesdays open to us, we could use it for the Adhyasa Bhashya. Many people wanted classes on the Adhyasa Bhashyam. So that's the reason why we are doing it. Um, so there's no, there isn't time to go through this line by line. However, I did read the first line last time and uh, because it's so profound. Let me start with the traditional chant and then we will go on to the uh, reading, the, the first line again. I'll, quick introduction to what Adhyasa is, the core concept of that, uh, its actual application in our spiritual life. And then I will try to summarize what remains of the Adhyasa Bhashya, uh, you know, just in, a, in English in a few um, short sentences so that we have an overview in, without trying to read the whole text. So first, the traditional chants. Om Narayanam Padmabhavam Vasishtam Shaktim Chatat Putra Parasharam Cha Vyasam Shukam Gaudapadam Mahantam Govinda Yogendra Mathasya Shishyam Shri Shankaracharya Mathasya Padmapadam Cha Hastamalakam Cha Shishyam Tam Totakam Vartikakaram Manyadasmat Gurun Santatamanatosmi Shruti Smriti Purananam Alayam Karunalayam Namami Bhagavat Padam Shankaram Loka Shankaram Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krito Vande Bhagavanta Punafpuna Ishvaro Gururat Meti Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyomavad Vyapta Dehaya Dakshinamurta Enamaha Shankaracharya wrote this very important commentary on the Brahma Sutras. The Brahma Sutras are the sutra literature which present the system of Vedanta philosophy. Now that has to be explained and Shankaracharya explains it in his Bhashya or commentary on the Brahma Sutras. But before beginning to explain the Brahma Sutras, he writes this amazing introduction, which is called Adhyasa Bhashya, the commentary dealing with Adhyasa. Adhyasa is a Sanskrit word meaning superimposition. Uh, what is superimposition? That sounds uh, forbiddingly technical. It just means making a mistake, taking something for what it is not, taking a rope to be a snake, mistaking a rope to be a snake, um, not knowing that it's a rope, no, thinking it's a snake. Not knowing that the sky is colorless, thinking it's blue or red or whatever. Um, not knowing that we are just pure consciousness, 
taking ourselves to be a mixture of body, mind, and consciousness. This is adhyasa. And this is superimposition. Very, very important. This is, uh, uh, philosophically speaking, this is a central conception in Advaita Vedanta. If you get this, you will see all throughout. This is how Shankaracharya makes sense of the Gita, the Upanishads, the Brahma Sutras. This is how he explains every possible question uh, in uh, spiritual life or every possible philosophical question. You'll see how important it is. And it's not new. We have come across this throughout uh, our studies of Advaita Vedanta. When we study Advaita Vedanta, we keep coming across you know, the old snake and the rope. We keep coming across ignorance is the problem and knowledge is the solution. Um, and uh, the world is Maya. You are already Brahman. By knowledge of your reality, you become free. All of this makes sense only if Adhyasa is established. If that, that did, what Shankaracharya wants to say here, if this is true, then only all of this makes sense. All right. Let me just read the first sentence once again. I'll explain uh, first in a simple way and then what Shankaracharya is actually saying in the text. The first sentence. Why the first sentence? Because I said this first sentence is the crucial idea of uh, uh, adhyasa, superimposition. I also quoted... Um, Professor J.N. Mahanti, who just passed uh, last week, uh, who said this is the most profound sentence he has ever read in his all his studies of uh, philosophical literature in the East and the West. So what is this sentence? Yushmadasmat pratyaya gocharayo vishaya vishaino tamaprakashavad viruddhaswabhavayo itare tarabhavanupapatto siddhayam ಇತರೇತರಭಾವನುಪತ್ತಿಧರ್ಮಾಧ್ಯಾಸಿಭವಿತ್ಯಂತ ಅತ್ಯಂತ ವಿವಿಕ್ತೋರ್ ಧರ್ಮಧರ್ಮಿಣೋ ಮಿಥ್ಯಾನಿತ್ಯಾನೃತೆ ಮಿಥುನೀಕೃತ್ಯ ಅಹಮಿದಂ ಮಮೇದಂ ನೈಸರ್ಗಿಕೋಯಂ ಲೋಕವ್ಯವಹಾರ ದಟ್ ಸೌಂಡ್ಸ್ ಪ್ರಿಟಿ ವೈಸ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಡಿಫಿಕಲ್ಟ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಇಟ್ ಈಸ್ ವಿ ಐ ರೆಡ್ ಔಟ್ ಟು ಯು ದ ಇಂಗ್ಲಿಷ್ ಟ್ರಾನ್ಸ್ಲೇಷನ್ ಮೇಡ್ ಬೈ ಸ್ವಾಮಿ ಗಂಭೀರಾಂಜಿ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ಟೈಮ್ ಅಂಡ್ when you read the translation we are none the wiser because we can't make head or tail of what is <laughs> what is being said there but you break it down it's pretty simple uh, the core idea at least is simple basically what he is saying is i mean if we make a mistake about a snake uh, and a rope you know, just just an example the snake and the rope is the example and what he wants to say is that we are making the same mistake about ourselves um instead of the rope we have ourselves the atman as existence consciousness bliss as pure consciousness i am that and uh, instead of the snake we have body mind and also the external universe so just as the rope is mistaken for a snake a rope is not a snake snake is not a rope but a rope is mistaken for a snake you are pure consciousness you are not a body not a mind and yet you mistake yourselves for a body mind you are one but we mistake ourselves and we think that we are many beings um, you are immortal 
we mistake and we think that we are mortal. We um, not only confuse the two things, snake and the rope, but we confuse their, their attributes. So, um, you know, the snake exists. Interestingly, the snake exists, the rope exists, the snake does not. But when we see the snake, we, we see the rope and snake together. We don't see it's a rope. We see that it's a snake, but we feel that the snake exists. Um, the uh, snake is poisonous. The rope is not poisonous. But when we see that rope and we don't realize it's a rope, we think it's a snake. We think it's poisonous. Oh, it's a poisonous snake there. Um, the long uh, and curved shape of the rope, that becomes the long and curved shape of the snake. So what we are doing is not only mistaking a rope for a snake, but uh, confusing their attributes, their qualities. When we say the snake is, there is a snake, there is a snake, snake is, that isness actually belongs to the rope. This is something to be noted. The isness actually belongs to the rope because after you correct, after we get the correct knowledge that the rope is, it's not a snake, it's a rope. A rope is. Notice that is continues. When we first encountered this thing, we said snake is. And then we corrected it. No, 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 not a snake. Rope is. So snake was replaced by rope. We had made a mistake. It's not a snake. Now we realize it's a rope. Very good. But notice something subtle. The is continued. Snake is, rope is. Existence continued. That existence actually belonged to the rope. It was seen by mistake as a snake. Um, so when you say it's poisonous, that the poisonous quality belongs to the illusory snake, not to a rope. A rope is not poisonous. It is long and curved. Long and curved belongs to the rope. Because even after you see the rope, it continues to be long and curved. So in a superimposition, in an adhyasa, what happens is a peculiar mixture of fact and fiction, of reality and appearance. The isness of the rope continues. It appears as the existence of the snake. The existence of the rope appears as the existence of the snake. Similarly, in our own case, um, as pure consciousness, I am awareness, I am, I am, I am the Atman, pure consciousness, and yet I take myself to be body-mind. Yes, I say I'm awareness also, but a mixture of body-mind and awareness. Um, now notice, the, what I take myself to be, this man, this man is, or uh, I am a man, let's say. If I'm a man, I take myself to be a man, I say I am a man. Uh, this is superimposition. When it is corrected, I will realize I am the Atman. I am awareness. And notice what continued. A man was replaced by Atman or awareness. But what continued? I am. The I am continued. So when we are having this experience of a superimposition, it's not that we are only having a, seeing the false, but we are also seeing the reality, a mixture of reality and falsity. When you say, I am this person, I am a man or a woman, I am an Indian or an American, whatever. But the I am, is it belongs to the Atman. And it's true. It's real. It will continue when you become enlightened. You will still say, I am. But I, I, my own existence continues. However, the nature of that existence will change entirely. or My understanding will change entirely. Right now, what is my understanding? 
My understanding is, yes, I am, but I am a man. I am an Indian. I am middle-aged. I am healthy or sick. I am rich or poor. I am highly learned or I am, I am um, illiterate. Uh, I live in um, India or I live in New York. All of these, the specific attributes, they are all, they belong because they're because of superimposition. Adhyasa. Uh, when this is corrected, when I'm enlightened, it will still go on as I am. But what am I? I am awareness. I am existence itself. I am not a body or a mind. Even when the body and mind are still appearing, I am not those things. I am very clearly awareness only, existence only. I am one, not many. I am unchanging, not changing. I am the pure subject, not an object. And um, I am not in New York or Calcutta or you know, any place. And Advaitin will say Calcutta or New York are appearing in me, <laughs> in me, the consciousness. So this correction will take place. But notice, one in subtle point is that I am, it continues. Here is the spiritual application. Let me give an example. Uh, something close to our time. Many of you have heard of uh, Nisargadatta Maharaj, who was in Mumbai, who was uh, regarded as a great non-dualist teacher. Very simple man. Uh, he used to sell those uh, Indian cigarettes, beeries. Um, not a very good profession, but he did that. A simple man, he just sold those uh, and he made his living. And he was initiated by his guru, who gave him... Yeah, so this man, man was uh, he was a householder. He had a wife and kids and, and he was somehow... He carried on with a few shops in Mumbai. Now he was initiated and his teacher told him... Now it'll make sense. It told him simple direct instruction. Your practice is to focus on the I am. Just stay with the sense of your own existence. And Nisargadatta said, I heard what my guru said, and it's very important. I believed him that that I am is Atman or Brahman. And I, I tried to live accordingly. I did what he said. And so for months and years afterwards, he says, my main practice would be to stay with the sense of my own existence, the I am. Sometimes for hours together, I would just sit with that. And so what is he doing? He's focusing on the, the real aspect of this mixture of reality and falsity. It's like noticing the snake. You're thinking, you think it's a snake. Now, if, you're, if you tell the person, don't be scared of the snake. Don't bother about the snake. Just notice that the snake exists. Just look at, look at what is appearing to you. Just notice its existence. Focus on the existence of the thing. That which is. That may transition him from the snake appearance to the, the rope reality. Similarly, when you focus on the I am, you begin to realize. Of course, uh, Nisargadatta would be the best person to say. You would, his book, I am that. That is a classic. And a lot of people read it. So when you stay with it, you begin to realize the world is changing. I am. The body is changing. I am. The mind is continuously changing fast. I am. The world, body, mind appear and disappear. They appear in waking. They appear in dreaming. But they disappear in deep sleep. I am. If you just try it right now. I am seeing all this. 
Now, seeing all this, if I block it out, close my eyes, not seeing anymore, but I am not seeing. You see, but you can say all that, Swami, because you're thinking. Suppose you don't think, absolutely no thinking. Then you are, that I am exists as the witness of the not thinking. The I am is always there. That I am. So this, this is the practice that was given by Nisargadatta's guru. And at one point, he says, in his own account of his own uh, spiritual practices, he says that, and his enlightenment, at one point, the difference became very clear. Within the language of Shankaracharya, he penetrated through the Adhyasa. He penetrated through the superimposition. He says the difference became very clear. That I effortlessly saw I am the completely trouble-free, suffering-free Atman. And I am, I am this limitless awareness. And it became um, effortless after that. Nothing more need be done. And then he began to teach, of course, and became very popular. It became um, like a magnet for many people, not only in India, but from all over the world. That, that small house he stayed in. So people came from all over. And he taught them the same, uh, you know, stay with the I am. So... All of Vedantic inquiry, Vedanta Vichara, it turns on this crucial concept. And the concept is also, it points out, even in our current day-to-day -day experiences, which are based on adhyasa, superimposition, the reality is still there as the I am or as the awareness, which continues in, in, in all our experiences. Now, if we look at the um, sentence itself, what he has said is, if you break it down, it makes sense. Uh, it's not so difficult. See, the subject and the object are very different, he says. Um, you and whatever you experience, they're very different. Atma and Anatma are very different. You are awareness and every, the object is appearing to you in the awareness. Uh, you are one, the object is many. You are um, unchanging, the object's Things in the world are continuously changing. You are aware of them. None of the objects are aware of you, the consciousness, and so on. Now, Shankaracharya says, the self and the not-self, you and everything else, they're so different, like darkness and light, tamah prakashavat, contradictory nature, that there should be no question of mixing them up. Rope and snake, at least you can mix up because they seem similar. You can make a mistake. But you and the object, subject and the object, consciousness and its objects, that's so different. One is awareness. One is that which you are aware of. One is unchanging. You, the one, are you're unchanging. Whatever is not the self is changing. You are one. Non-self or the objects are many. Um, you are always trouble-free. The objects are, in, are a mess. <laughs> you, know? um, you as the self, you, you, are, uh, you are real. And the objects are appearances in you. They are false. You are satyam. They are mithya. In so many ways, self and not self are opposed like light and darkness. Tamah prakashavat. Tamah darkness. Prakasha light. So there should be no question of mixing them up like a rope and a snake. Not only they should not be mixed. They, they cannot. It should be difficult to mix them up or impossible. And their qualities also. It's, it's like... Uh, uh, how strange it is that their qualities also are getting mixed up because the qualities are different. Um, you know, 
changing, unchanging. These are the qualities of the self and the not self. One and the many and the real and the appearance, awareness and not awareness. These are the attributes of the self and the not self. They are so different from each other. They, there should be no question of, you know, um, imposing the qualities of the, of the not self on the self and the self on the not self. And he says, yet, yet, he says, tathapi. Yet, it's a fact. All through our lives, continuously from day to day, all through our lives, we see this continuous mixing up of the self and the not self. This adhyasa, superimposition of the self and the not self and their qualities. What is the self? Atma, pure consciousness. What is the not self? Body. And what do I do? I am a body. Mixing up. Adhyasa. I am this body. Or it is my body. What is the quality of the self or the attribute of the self? Actually, they are not attributes. They are very nature of the self. But anyway, for the purpose of this discussion, attribute is awareness. And then what is the attribute of the body? Not aware. You are aware of the body. The body is not aware. But what do we actually say? I am aware. I, this person. Now I have superimposed the quality of the self on the not-self, the quality of atma on body. Atma is aware, awareness. And body is not aware. But now I'm saying this is an aware body, an aware mind. I am um, unchanging consciousness. Body is ever-changing. But what have I done? I am changing, you know... The good old times when we were children and in school. Now I became become older. How? Has pure consciousness become old? No. It's the body which has become old. The old age of the body is superimposed on consciousness. So, disease. I feel hungry. I feel sick. I feel uh, tired. Hunger is an attribute, a function of the prana. I'm superimposing upon myself the consciousness. Sickness is in the prana, in the body. I, I come superimpose on myself. I am tall or short. These are qualities of the body. I superimpose on I, the consciousness. And the opposite is also hap happening. Your real at attributes or your real nature, which is consciousness existence. Now I, um, uh, you know, I'm putting that on the body-mind. Mind is conscious. All of modern consciousness studies, this is the core uh, confusion. Shankaracharya would say, this is superimposition. What is modern consciousness studies? They will say, we study mind, consciousness, immediately it will catch. This is, we are making a mistake. Consciousness and mind are not the same thing. They should not be the object of the same study. So, mind is conscious. You are conscious. You are consciousness. But we feel mind is conscious. You exist. We feel Body exists, mind exists, and obscured the reality. What is the reality? The snake appearance obscures the rope reality. This body, mind, and world appearance obscures the Atman or Brahman reality. So this is the state of this is the state of affairs. To put it very simply, what Shankaracharya is claiming is like a mistake we often make. Like there are many such examples. Like snake and rope. What is actually a rope, you mistake it to be a snake. And then there are effects. You get scared and all that. Similarly, you are pure consciousness. Existence, consciousness, bliss, limitless awareness. You take it to be, take yourself to be 
a body, a mind, a personality. And then there are enormous consequences. Pleasure, the hunting for pleasure, the suffering of pain, all of samsara, karma, everything comes because of the superimposition. Samsara comes because of this. This is Shankaracharya's claim. Now, let's go into some discussion. Detailed dialectics, the arguments, you can find a lot of that material in that handout which I shared. Professor Mani Dravid Shastri, some 26 pages. He has poured all his learning into those lectures on Adhyasa Bhashya. So you can go through that and in simple English. It's a translation from his, I think, Tamil lectures probably um, or Sanskrit lectures. Uh, but I'll summarize very quickly. Here are the objections. The objections come from various different schools of Indian philosophy. So they say, not so fast, Shankaracharya. Your uh, snake and rope example is fine, but the superimposition of the not-self, body-mind on the self-consciousness, this is not correct. It's not logical. Why not? Four major ob um, objections. One objection is, that, uh, see, the snake and the rope, it is understandable. Snake and rope are similar. Sadrishya, similarity is there. One can, it's quite, it's commonsensical why a person would, would mistake a rope for a snake. They look alike. A rope looks like a snake. But there is no similarity here. You yourself have said the self and the not-self, consciousness and the body-mind are so, you, you have said they are like light and darkness. You have put your foot in it yourself. You said they are light and darkness. They are completely dissimilar. How can you make, make a mistake? You, you can mistake a rope for a snake. You can't mistake a rope for a, a, a dog or a cat. But uh, here the dissimilarity is much more. Self and not self. Like light and darkness to quote you yourself. So how is a mistake possible? Mistake is not possible. A superimposition, adhyasa, not possible. Why? Sadrishya abhava, the lack of similarity. One objection. Second objection. Um, that, uh, uh, all right, let me give you the answers for each of them and then we will uh, go on. Shankaracharya says that uh, similarity is not, an, not always necessary. He says, dissimilar things can also be mistaken. They can be adhyas or superimposition. Example he gives, akasha, space. Now, children, when they look up into the sky above, they think it's like an inverted bowl, you know, uh, like a surface is there, tala, like a surface. It looks like a bowl, we are, we are under the bowl of the sky. There's no surface there, it's just empty space. But it looks like that. And children might think this, it's like a bowl or it's an inverted surface. Now, a bowl and sky are very different. And yet, children mix it up. Malinata. Malinata means dirt. Sometimes as kids, I know I did it. They think that the sky is dirty. Sky has become dirty. Maybe there are clouds or there are dust clouds or something. Well, sky never becomes dirty. But we mistake the presence of clouds or dust as something that is sticking to the sky. Children might make such a mistake. So two entirely dissimilar things, the entirely formless, surfaceless space is mistaken for the uh, surface of a bowl, of under, uh, the inner surface of a bowl. 
the completely untouched sky is seen to be dirty, for example. Similarly, Shankaracharya says, consciousness and its objects, though they are entirely different, self and the not-self, though they are entirely different, there's no similarity, yet they can be mistaken and they are mistaken for each other. So we take the body-mind to be the self, although we are not body-mind. Second objection is, um, the opponent refines this position and says, look, I don't really mean, you know, similarity in a crude sense. What I mean is, the snake and the rope are out there. They're objects of perception. You see a snake, you see a rope, and you can mix them up. So they are pratyaksha. Things which are seen can be confused, which may be seen or heard or smelt or tasted. They are objects of our senses. Pratyaksha vishaya. They are objects of our senses. And it's possible to confuse one for the other. But um, the self is not an object. So you cannot, um, how can you, you know, confuse an object like the body-mind for the self, which is not an object. Two objects can be confused. But the subject and object, how can you confuse? The self, according to you, is not something that can be seen. It's not a, an object of perception. Then how can you confuse it for some, some object? If you see the question, Shankaracharya says that, again, it's not a necessary um, condition. Because the same example can be used to explain. The Akasha, space example. Now, Remember, they're talking with, they're debating with the Nyaya philosopher, for example. According to the Nyaya Vaisheshika philosopher, space is not an object of perception. To see, to see space, you cannot see space. You see, you can see something with a form. Space has no form, so we don't see space. And that's actually pretty logical. It's the brain which constitutes after, you know, uh, mind and the brain, which um, generates this uh, idea of gap of space. You are not actually seeing space. You see things in space. Literally, eyes can't see, um, you know, lack of surface. Eyes will only see when light is reflected of something. So space is not something that is seen. And yet, children say that the space has, a, you know, like uh, the sky above has a, is like an inverted bowl or the sky has become dirty. They are making a superimposition, a mistake about something which is not an object of perception. Um, all that you need to know, Shankaracharya clarifies, all that we need to know is uh, that the self exists. That much is, is needed. But I am. If you know that much, then you can have a confusion about what I am. To repeat that, how even though the self is not an object, if you just know about your own existence, that I am, and then the confusion can come that um, I am this or that. It need not be, the self need not be an object of perception. Just uh, the knowledge of your own existence, that uh, I exist, that much is enough for confusion to ensue. So that's the second objection. Um, the third objection is that um, um, well, you are saying the self is known, I am, you know that you exist. But for um, superimposition to happen, adhyasa to happen, it must be unknown. The rope is unknown. Therefore, it is mistaken to be a um, snake. But you know you exist. You know yourself. 
I know myself. What is unknown about this? Then how can I make a mistake? Look, there's a subtle variation of the arguments. The arguments are very nice back and forth. The moment Shankaracharya says, it need not be an object of perception. You just have to know that you exist. It's enough for um, superimposition. Immediately the opponent picks up on that. Yes, so you know that you exist. But then in order for there to be superimposition, there must be ignorance. You must not know. The rope is not known and therefore there is a problem. You mistake it for a snake. Now you are saying you know yourself, you know the self. We all agree we know ourselves. Who else knows myself more than me? Then how can there be a mistake? Ignorance is necessary for mistake. Ajnana is necessary for adhyasa. But there is no ajnana here. The self is known. When Shankaracharya clarifies, of course we know the answer. Shankaracharya clarifies, it is partial ignorance which is necessary. So for example, even the rope is not totally unknown. You feel there is something there in the darkness. What's there? What's there? Oh, it's a snake. But when you said something is there, you're not wrong. There is something. There's a rope. But that rope part of it was not known. What it is was not known. But that it is was known. Similarly, we know we exist. And but we do not know that we are limitless existence consciousness bliss. We do not know that we are Brahman. We do not know that we are immortal. We do not know that we are the reality of this universe. That we don't know. We just know that we exist. That much is enough for superimposition to occur. So partial knowledge and partial ignorance. That is the perfect condition, in, in fact, for superimposition to occur. Then the opponent changes track. Uh, he says, wait, um, rope and snake, you mistake a rope for a snake. Because, why do you do that? Because you've seen a snake earlier. You've seen a snake. Now, you've seen a real snake. Now, you hear you're making a mistake. It's not a snake. It's a rope. But you're making a mistake. It's like an illusion. A snake comes. But only because you've seen a snake earlier and the real snake now you are saying that brahman is there and the world and you're mistaking brahman for the world or you are pure consciousness same thing you are pure consciousness but you're mistaking yourself for body mind why will you mistake yourself for body mind because you must have experienced body mind earlier so there must be a real body mind there must be a real world for you to make a mistake there is a real snake which you have seen Maybe in the garden or in the zoo. And now you make a mistake by seeing what is not a snake, a rope, as a snake. So there must be a real world, a real body, real mind, that which you have experienced earlier. Now you say you're making a mistake by seeing the body mind, consciousness as body mind. But in that case, why say such things? Just admit that the body mind are real. The world is real. You are a body mind. Why are you saying it's a mistake? Do you see the two steps of the argument? The step is, yes, in the case of a snake and a rope, we admit, the opponent will say, we admit it's a real mistake. You're mistaken about it. It's a rope, but it's a snake. You have seen a snake earlier. You're making a mistake thinking it's a snake. But in this case of body and mind, it need not be a mistake. You are actually seeing a body mind because you have to admit that a real body mind exists in order to, for you to make a mistake. Otherwise, where will you get even get experience of a body-mind? So this, that means this works even better in the Brahman and the world. 
you know, Brahma Satyam Jagat Mithya. Brahman is real, the world is false. Advaitin, we claim. Where is this world? Here in Brahman itself, you are making a mistake, a superimposition. Just like seeing a rope as a snake, you are seeing Brahman as the world. But the opponent says, in order to see a false world, you must have experienced a real world. Otherwise, where will the false world come from? Just like a snake. And uh, if you have experienced a real world, then a real world exists. Why claim that the world is false? So this is uh, where the opponent pushes the non-dualist. The non-dualist, Shankara or Advaitins, will answer. Here is an answer is very subtle but very powerful. What is necessary for making a mistake? And opponent says, you must have seen a snake earlier. Ah, you must have seen a snake earlier. You must have experienced a snake earlier. Need not be a real snake. For example, a child who has never seen a snake in his or her life, who has seen a snake in a movie, who has seen a snake in a picture book, can make a mistake, can mistake a rope for a snake. Because the samskara of a snake is there in the mind. All for that is necessary for the samskara, the tendency, the impression to be there, is to have an experience. It need not be of a real snake. It could be of an appearance. An experience of a false snake can give you the samskara of a false snake and make you see a false snake later. An experience of a nightmare, if you have it once, you can have a recurrent nightmare again and again and again. Where does it come from? From the previous nightmare. Where did that come from? From the previous nightmare. Similarly, samsara and body and mind, we are getting it because of our past samskaras. But where did those past samskaras come from? From earlier superimposition, from earlier adhyasa. We inhabited this world of maya for many lifetimes. We are getting these samskaras and therefore we are repeating it again and again. We are seeing a world, we are seeing body, mind, where only Brahman exists. But then the question will arise, um, all right, but... Where did this first samskara come from? A related question. You said, I am experiencing body-mind now, world now, because of my past experiences of the world and body-mind. Where did those past experiences come from? From the earlier experiences. And those ones came from even more previous experience. Where did it first start? And the answer is, it didn't. It didn't start first. It is beginningless. Anadi avidya. And I've explained this earlier also. It's not a cop-out. It's not an excuse. Beginningless is actually very logical. Ignorance is always beginningless. I give the example again. Professor um, Jain Mahanti, I have to say, said this earlier also in the Institute of Culture in Gold Park in, in a class on Vedanta. He explained it to simply, so simply he explained it to us. Ignorance is always beginningless. How? Uh, he said, do any of you know German? We said, no. So you're ignorant of German? We said, yes. Since when are you ignorant of German? Someone said, since my birth. Oh, so before your birth, you knew German? No. If you're ignorant of German, you have been ignorant of German since beginningless time. However, when you get knowledge of German, the ignorance goes away. So ignorance is beginningless and the mistakes produced by ignorance also are beginningless. But when the knowledge comes, they will go away. So this is the answer to the fourth question. That doesn't superimposition mean that there is actually a real world? No. It, you need previous experience, but you don't. that experience doesn't have to be experience of a real thing. Children all the time, you can see ghosts. Nobody, the children have not actually experienced a ghost. An actual ghost may not even exist. And the children, the child sees a ghost. So 
only the samskara is necessary and the samskara can be produced by past false experiences also now shankaracharya goes on the um, offensive after having refuted the objections he says you know my friends you all philosophers you are all following the vedas and the vedas implicitly accept adhyasa superimposition and you being the followers of the vedas you mean meaning the other schools nyaya vaisheshika sankhya yoga purva mimamsa you all accept superimposition um so here is just debating with the vedic schools how do you accept superimposition uh, if you are uh, how how are the vedas uh, implying superimposition very simple for example don't the vedas uh, say that uh, um you die and you go to heaven and then you are reborn again yes we all accept that as hindus or also buddhists jains sikhs all of us we accept that there are many births in that case if you accept that there are many births clearly that which is going from lifetime to lifetime cannot be the body the body dies the subtle body goes on from lifetime to lifetime and getting newer and newer bodies all right that also we accept but what's your point the point is if you accept punarjanma like as any as any hindu buddhist jain sikh you have to accept punarjanma that's your belief that's your religion if you accept it then you accept that you are not the body and if you accept that you're not the body then the day to day activities which are going on i am tall i am short i am a man i am a woman uh, i am i am a brahmin i am a kshatriya i am a shudra all of this must be adhyasa superimposition you all deal with this all the time you means non dualist the other than the non dualist other than the advaitin you nayikas sankhyas yoga purvamimamsakas all philosophers you clearly see people identify themselves with the body and this identification must be false it must be a superimposition because you hold that none of us are the body we are because we are born and we die body is born and dying but we go from lifetime to lifetime if you are an immortal soul which all religious people accept then just by the fact of being a religious person you accept that there must be a superimposition or adhyasa the identification with body mind must be false identification um and then he gives examples not only the vedas our worldly life also gives plenty of example of adhyasa rope and snake um then he says ekas chandras dvitiya vadbhati if you look at the moon and you press your eyelid you will see two two moons like even now if you see the computer and you press your eyelid you will see two computers or more than that now that which is one appears to be two um, that which is a rope appears to be a snake that which is a colorless sky appears to be a blue sky these are all worldly examples in sanskrit laukika and people say yeah we know these these are called illusions optical illusions what not errors so this is adhyasa this is superimposition what is not there is taken to be there one moon taken to be two moons um, colorless sky space is colorless taken to be blue sky um the another example the seashell is taken to be silver that's a classical sanskrit and sanskrit text you find so laukika worldly examples of adhyasa superimposition are there what's his point 
His point is, Vedas, which we all believe in, they imply that there is superimposition. And in day-to-day -day life, other than the Vedas, in our day-to-day -day life, laukika, worldly life, we come across many experiences of superimposition or abhyasa. Therefore, vaidika, laukika, sacred and secular, in all fields, abhyasa is accepted. So, what's your point? Point here is, in debate, it's a rule. If there is some fault, in, so is there something that I accept? I cannot accuse you of committing a fault if you accept the same thing. We all accept the Nayaikas, Vaisheshika, Sankhya, we all accept Adhyasa. Now, I can't say that the Advaitin is making a mistake by ac accepting Adhyasa. You can't accuse me, the non-dualist, of making a mistake. when you in, in your system, it is implied in all of your systems. So, this is Shankara's um, reply to the objections. Then he goes forward to prove the existence of Adhyasa. I'll just tell you briefly how he does that and then conclude with his conclusion. Um, so this is a like a sweeping overview. I'm leaving out lots and lots of things. For example, two big things I'm leaving out. Definition of Adhyasa. He has given at least three clear definitions of Adhyasa. I'm not going into that. Then there's something called Khyati Vada. The theory of error. The theory of error. You, the non-dualist, you are saying that we are making a big error. What is the error? Um, you are not the body, not the mind, but you think you are body-mind. Uh, this is not a real physical universe out there. You think it's a real universe. You are actually pure consciousness. Uh, you are making an error. But what is an error? How does an error occur? What is the theory, the philosophy, the mechanics of an error? So you might think that, um, uh, so mistake, about a mistake itself, so much thinking has gone on. Every philosophical school, Sankhya, Yoga, uh, Nyaya, Vaisheshika, Buddhist, Vijnanavada, the uh, Shunyavada, Madhyamaka Shunyavada, all of them have their unique theories of error. And so does the non-dualist, Advaitin. So th this Khyati, it means false appearance. How does this false appearance happen? Uh, this error, how does it happen? Atma khyati, asat khyati, sat khyati, so many things are there. Uh, our own um, theory, Advaitin theory is called anirvachanya khyati. So all of these are also touched upon by Shankaracharya. I am not entering that. It's a vast, vast field. Each of these theories will take uh, quite a bit of time to explain. And then what are the faults with each theory and why the non-dualist theory is to be accepted. So that's a big uh, at least six theories of error are taken up and then dismissed by Shankaracharya. And even that is just a sampling. I have a book written by a philosopher in uh, a university in India, which takes up 15 theories of error. They're just talking about mistakes, errors, and they're going into so much detail. I'm not going into that. So what I'll touch upon is um, Shankaracharya's uh, proving, pramana, proof, that there is superimposition, that we are making a terrible mistake and it needs to be corrected. And showing that, that, is that this correction of this error is the basis of spiritual inquiry. Okay, first of all, what is his proof? For this, I will introduce a term called Arthapatti. Arthapatti is translated in English as um, uh, implication or presumption or assumption. It goes like this. Simple example. Uh, 
it's a way of knowing things what is this way um presuming presuming something so example is the classic example in um, indian philosophy is pino deva devadatta divana bhungte atho ratrau bhungte the obese the fat devadatta does not eat in daytime you know in public nobody has seen him eating so he must be eating at night because he's he is overweight he is grossly overweight so he's obese pina means uh, fat or plump or obese devadatta don't bother who devadatta is whenever you want an example i mean in english you can say mr smith or something just just some guy he is plump he is overweight he is obese but you never see him eating so what do you assume what do you presume he eats in secret he eats at night pino devadatta devadatta who is um fat or overweight somebody corrected me uh so don't say fat swami say large so okay large so the la- uh, large devadatta uh, does not eat at day time we don't see him eating at day time therefore we assume he must be eating at night where does he get all those extra calories from he must be eating at night that assumption that presumption that's called arthapatti that's one way of knowing things how does this relate to what we are doing here is the thing what shankaracharya is saying is that we have to use this to develop our theory to come to this idea of adhyasa to this idea uh, of um, maya everything is maya everything is an appearance that they be are making a serious mistake and error all of this is arthapatti arthapatti based on what he'll give examples again from the vedas the vedas the upanishads the gita they are the basis for example shankara but the non dualist will say for example when the gita we find in the gita whoever thinks that this self the atman is the killer or is killed they do not know they are mistaken because the atman is neither the killer nor the nor the killed yainam manyate ya yaschainam manyate hanta yamanyate hanta yaschainam manyate hatam ubhautau na vijanito nayam hanti nahanyate in the gita second chapter krishna says whoever thinks that the self is the killer whoever thinks the self is killed does not know because the self is neither the killer nor the killed why this killer and killing because it's in the battlefield situation uh, but what it means is the self is not the doer of deeds nor the enjoyer or sufferer of the results of of deeds is not in sanskrit karta bhokta not an agent of action nor the um, not the uh, enjoyer or sufferer of uh, of the results of action um the gita says this upanishad says katha upanishad which we just read it says this nayam hanyate na hanyamane sharire when the body is destroyed it is the atman is not destroyed now the opponent would say yes i remember reading the gita the upanishad you don't have to teach me gita and upanishad i know them what's your point my point is that the gita the upanishad which we all believe in which we are um, studying and we think that's the truth it says that you are not you do not die you are not the killer you but in our day to day life we feel that 
um, some we feel we are the doer, we are the enjoyer, we are the sufferer. Somebody is born, somebody is dying. Uh, we feel all that. We see all that in day-to-day -day life. Now you see two things. Just like the uh, fat or the large Devadatta does not eat at, in the daytime. Therefore, he must be eating at night. Gita says, you are not born. You do not die. You are not the killer. You are not killed. And yet we feel we are born, we die, we are the killer, or we are killed, or we are doer or uh, the, uh, the sufferer. Now, these two do not match. So what do you presume? You presume that what we are experiencing, what we think we are, that we are born and we die, or we are the doer of the deeds or the sufferer of the consequences, this must be adhyasa. This must be a mistake. So this is arthapatti. Let me repeat it briefly. You'll see the argument. The argument is the large devadatta, and the overweight devadatta does not eat at day, in the daytime. Nobody has seen him eating. Therefore, I presume he eats at night. Otherwise, how could he get those extra calories? Similarly, I am sure that the self is not born, does not die, is not the doer of deeds, not the experiencer of the results of actions. How are you sure? Because Gita says so. Upanishad says so. And we are all uh, followers of the Vedic religion. And yet, in date, we, what is the fact? Just like the, we see the Devadatta is overweight, we are seeing that we all feel that we are the doer of deeds. We are born, we die. In that case, what we are, we seem to be experiencing must be a mistake, must be adhyasa, must be a superimposition, must be due to identification with body and mind. It is the body which is born, it is the body which is dying. Somehow we are identifying, we are thinking we are born with the birth of the body, we die with the birth and death of the body. Krishna says very clearly, one example, there are many such examples in Upanishads and all, which say that you are immortal. Krishna says, yeah. It's neither born, never die, uh, never dies. So Gita, Krishna is saying, neither born nor do you die. And yet, yet it is our common universal knowledge that people are born and people die. That I, the self, I have been born and I will die. Then these two are not matching. You see, these two are not matching. Just like large devadatta not eating and not matching, there must be something going on. That he must be eating in secret or night. Similarly, you are immortal and you feel that I am born and I will die. These two are not matching. How can you be immortal and then be born and dying? In that case, this born and dying must be because of identification with the body mind. Because clearly, body mind is born and body mind dies, and body body is born, body dies clearly. So this identification is is adhyasa, superimposition. And this is proved by Arthapatti. In fact, Shankaracharya goes on to show just about every aspect of our religious and worldly lives is dominated, is made possible, is going on because of superimposition, adhyasa. He says, um, this um, not only katritva, bhuktritva, katritva is doing things, bhuktritva is enjoying or suffering. Both are possible because of, both are happening because of identification with the body. In identification with the body, I say, I talk, I walk, I work. In identification with the senses and the mind, I say, I am suffering pain. I am enjoying pleasure. So, katta bhokta is because of um, adhyasa, because of superimposition. But even more than that, even more deeply, knowing 
being a knowing being that I see, hear, smell, taste, touch, I think, I remember, I do Vedanta, I do science, religion, whatever, all this knowing, knowledge. This is also because of Adhyasa, superimposition. Pramatritva. It's only consciousness in identification with the mind says, I am a thinking being. In identification with the mind and the senses, consciousness says, I am a thinking, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching being. Only in identification with the mind and the senses, consciousness says, I know physics and chemistry and um, science, you know, like my religion and uh, politics and all of that. So, pramatritvam, knowership, that comes because of adhyasa. Subtle point here. Jnata, jnana, jnana means knowledge, consciousness. Knowledge itself or consciousness itself is your real nature. But jnata, pramata, knower, when knowledge, consciousness becomes a knower that requires identification with body-mind. By itself, consciousness is not a knower. You see, there are other, other um, uh, indicators. For example, to know something, there must be change. Uh, so, um, I, I, to focus on you, uh, to, uh, my eyes must focus, mind must think. Then only I will see, oh, this is a class. Here are so many people. How many people are there today? I look there and I say 97. How many things changed? The focus of my eyes changed. My um, uh, memory kicked in and said, that's the numeral 97. My uh, cognitive uh, faculty reported there are 97 people there on, on Zoom. Now, all these changes, they must be in the body-mind. They cannot be in pure consciousness. Yet, without these changes, you can't know anything. To know requires change. Um, how can the Atman change? Atman does not change. Pure consciousness, you don't change. In your awareness, body-mind are changing. And identification with body and mind, you say, I am a knower. That's why notice Vivekananda's definition of the Atman. Your knowledge itself, not, not that the Atman knows, it is knowledge itself. Not that the Atman exists, it is existence itself. Not that the Atman is happy, it is happiness itself. What is knowledge itself? Consciousness. And then with body, with mind, which are changing, you become a knower. So, Gyatritvam or Pramatritvam, knowership. Being, an, uh, being a knower, enjoyer, sufferer. Katritva, doership. Bhuktritva, enjoyership or, or suffership. I'm, I'm inventing all sorts of horrible new words. Enjoyership or suffership. Uh, all of these are because of adhyasa. Without adhyasa, none of these are possible. Now, notice. It doesn't mean that once you break through superimposition, once you become enlightened, you can't know anything, hear anything, smell anything. No, everything can go on as it is. Once you know a movie to be a movie, you don't have to switch up the movie. You can watch the movie. You'll enjoy, you'll really enjoy the movie at that time. So once you know the blue sky is actually not blue, look at, it still looks blue. Similarly, you know that you are pure awareness. You are not really um, seer or hearer or thinker or rememberer or whatever. Uh, but Thinking, remembering, seeing, hearing, enjoying, suffering, all can go on. You'll be perfectly all right. You are the witness consciousness which enables all of it to happen. Now, um, 
I'm not going to go more than this. Shankaracharya also uses some, what is called Anumana. Pashwadi Avisheshat, he says, uh, which is the process of inference in order to prove that there is superimposition. I'm not going to explain that part. I'm just going to jump to the very end. What good does this do for my spiritual life? What good is it for, what's its connection with Vedanta, which you're going to study? Shankaracharya says, at the root of all our problem is superimposition, adhyasa. Not knowing that I am Satchidananda, I am the Atman. And then taking this body and mind which appears to be myself. This is superimposition. Not knowing that there is a rope, thinking that the rope to be a, what, that thing to be a snake. Not knowing that you are Satchidananda, your pure consciousness, and taking yourself to be this body mind which appears. Moment this body mind appears, then there is pravritti nivritti, that is trying to do something and avoid something else. Because the, when I take myself to be the body mind, all the problems of body mind become my problems. There is hunger and thirst, and the mind has many, many desires from many past lives. Um, there is anxiety and fear. There are so many worldly projects, even other worldly projects of going to heaven after death. All of this is because of adhyasa. And they become my problems. And then I start doing things to take care of those problems. Karma. And those karmas are born of desire. Born of temptation, of terror, fear, anxiety or desire. And those karmas give rise to results. Karma phala. Good and bad results. And those results I have to enjoy or suffer. In this life, if I do not, I cannot exhaust it in this life. It will produce more bodies and more limited existences. Jayate mriyate, born and it dies and then is born again and then dies again and then is born again. So this chain of birth and death continues. This massive wheel of samsara continues grinding me down life after life. How do you solve this problem? Go to the root of it. It's all because of adhyasa, of superimposition. And how do you remove superimposition? How do you remove the problem of the snake? You can't drive it away with a stick. You can't call a snake charmer. You have to see that it's actually a rope and not a snake. You have to remove the rope ignorance and then the snake superimposition will disappear. You have to remove the rope agyana, then the snake adhyasa will disappear. Similarly, um, all of this is due to superimposition or adhyasa. Superimposition is due to ignorance and ignorance can be removed only by knowledge and knowledge comes only by inquiry. Knowledge comes only by inquiry, vichara. Therefore, the first sutra of the Brahma Sutra is Athato Brahma Jigyasa. Hence, therefore, an inquiry into Brahman, your own real nature. What will that do? It will produce a knowledge of your real nature. What will that do? When you know yourself as your real nature, then the, you will not take yourself to the, be the body-mind which is appearing. You know that you are pure consciousness. Body-mind will still continue to appear. No problem. That's your glory. Then you can live life as a Jeevan Mukta. Shankaracharya mentions in this Adhyasa Bhashya, one important thing about Adhyasa. I'll say this and finish. One important thing about Adhyasa. What is superimposed can never affect the ground of superimposition. The Adhyasa can never affect the adhishthana. That is, the 
snake, no matter how poisonous, can't make the rope poisonous. The water, all the water in a mirage cannot, is not sufficient to wet one grain of sand of the desert. The sand and mirage example. That's Shankaracharya's own example. That all the water in a big oasis which appears in a mirage is not enough to wet one grain of sand because it's not there. It's an appearance. Similarly, all the body, mind, suffering, samsara has not done any damage to you, cannot harm you, and will not ever harm you. You wear, are, and will always be perfectly fine. Once you realize that it's an adhyasa, it's an appearance, you can continue to be the Satchidananda Brahman, you can continue to have body, mind, you can continue um, using the body, mind to see, hear, smell, taste, you can uh, enjoy, suffer, all of that can continue. You will be perfectly alright, because that which appears in a superimposition that can never affect the reality. Appearance never affects reality. It does not improve the reality. It does not damage the reality also. It does not uh, you know, um, cause any harm to the reality. You are the reality. In this world of appearance, including this body and mind, do, does not increase you by in the least bit, does not impinge upon your glory, does not reduce you, does not harm you in the least bit. With this realization, when you live life in this world, now you are free of the Adhyasana. You realize I am Satchidananda. And yet the world will keep on appearing. No longer are you subject to that superimposition. Although you can live in this world just like everybody else. One slight subtle point here. After enlightenment, what will continue and what will not continue? This question arises if you think about it. See, question might arise that if I see the rope as a rope, generally the snake disappears. I don't see the snake anymore. So after seeing that I am Brahman, will the universe disappear? The answer is yes and no. Yes, in the sense that you realize there is no universe, only Brahman exists. But no, in the sense that you will still see the same things, um, remember the same things, eat and taste the same things. The world will continue to appear as it is. After knowing the movie to be a movie, the movie will not stop, need not stop. You can enjoy the movie. After knowing the sky to be colorless, you look up, it still looks blue. But you know it's colorless. Now, so there are two kinds of adhyasa here. There are a lot of discussion here, but there are two kinds of adhyasa. Where after enlightenment, the appearance disappears. Like after waking up from a dream, the dream thing has disappeared. After seeing the rope, the snake has disappeared. Or the other kind of adhyasa, even after you know the truth, the appearance continues, but you're not fooled. A mirage. Vivekananda says, I looked back in the deserts of Rajputana and I knew it was a mirage, but it looked back, it still looked like water. You look up, the sky still looks blue. All right. Here is the wonderful thing. After becoming enlightened, what will happen? What will disappear and what will not disappear? What will disappear? The identification of self with the not-self will forever disappear. You will never ever mistake the body-mind for yourself. You will always effortlessly be very clear that you are this immortal, limitless, one existence consciousness place. This will be very clear to you and effortlessly clear. It will never reappear, this I am the body-mind. So this will not reappear again. Like the snake, when you know the rope, it will disappear. Like the dream, when you wake up, it will disappear, actually disappear. You will have no problem at all. Second, what will continue? Like the blue sky, like the water in the mirage, the appearance of my water in the mirage, what will continue? 
what will continue is the appearance of the world appearance of the body appearance of the mind and the personality you will never think i am that anymore that identification will never come again but the appearance of the body mind universe will continue let that continue you have no problem then it will remain as an appearance of the self as a glory of yourself you appear in all these amazing ways in this universe so after that life i mean as long as this appearance continues till the death of that particular body of the jivan mukta it will be the life of an enlightened life jivan mukti life of joy fearlessness love selflessness oneness with everybody complete peace and free freedom of anxiety from anxiety and you'll be a, life will be a blessing to yourself and to everybody else so this is where shankaracharya he um ends the adhyasa bhashya the very last line is he says the asya anartha heto prahanaya in order to remove this great anartha great disaster of samsara which is caused by adhyasa atma ekatva vidya pratipattaye sarve vedantara bhadde in order to show you that this one consciousness you are this one consciousness all vedantic teachings have started with that and so brahma sutra is also going to start with an inquiry into the self when inquiry into the self will give rise to knowledge of yourself as one pure consciousness that knowledge will remove adhyasa superimposition once superimposition goes you will never think of yourself as body mind though they continue to appear you will never think of yourself as body mind then you will never feel that the limitations of body mind are your problems and you will never act through the body mind for your own personal sake sake anymore and there will be no further consequences karmic consequences not only that all past consequence karmic consequences also will disappear you will see they are all appearances they are not real in themselves so this is the i did i did not do justice to it we will dive a little deeper next time um i've just given you a gist a sort of overview of uh, what shankaracharya said we'll dive into some of the more subtle arguments a little bit next time and i have some very nice stories about the adhyasa bhashya for you next time all right let's look at some of the comments anuradha raichuri says any difference between error and mistake here we are not making a differentiation between error and mistake we're generally using the term error mistake optical illusion Uh, in that sense rajendra ji says in rope snake analogy knowledge obliterates falsity of snake in analogy of mirage knowledge does not make water disappear that's just now we i exam uh, i mentioned it so there are different kinds of superimpositions uh, in some cases knowledge will reveal to you the reality and the appearance will disappear snake disappears dream disappears when wake, you wake up but sometimes it will not disappear so there is a distinction see adhyasa i just explained adhyasa just like this but you know how much detail they have gone into there is sopadika adhyasa nirupadika adhyasa one type of adhyasa caused by the presence of upadis which will continue as long as the upadis are there but your knowledge will free you from it in fact if i see my notes i keep saying adhyasa adhyasa superimposition but see the depth they have gone into in one place i found superimposition adhyasa 20 types of adhyasa 20 types 
अर्थाध्यास ज्ञानाध्यास प्रत्यक अध्यास पराक अध्यास स्वरूप तादात्म्य अध्यास संसर्ग संबंध अध्यास धर्म अध्यास धर्मी अध्यास संस्कार अध्यास सोपाधिक अध्यास निरूपाधिक अध्यास सो दिस सोपाधिक निरूपाधिक अध्यास दिस एक्सप्लेन डिफरेंस बिटवीन दीज टू काइंड ऑफ अपियरेंसेज वन विच डिसअपियर्स अपॉन नॉलेज अराइजिंग दर विच कंटिन्यूज बट यू आर नॉट फूल्ड एनी मोर it thought it was water you rushed to drink water in the desert and you rediscovered it's not water it looks like water then you will walk away from it you look back it still looks like water but you're not fooled because you know it's not water it just looks like that i i give you the example i've told this story many times in himalayas this non dualist swami i was studying ashtavakra vit and he said how the uh, film crew had come and they were filming the the ganga there and they uh, he wanted to see how you can see the ganga in a box the television and the film crew put a television and they showed him focused the camera on the ganga and they showed him and the monk told us sab dikhta tha mahatma ji ganga ji bhi hai kal kal shabd bhi ho raha hai pani ka the, the ganga is flowing and the gurgling what sound of the water i could see and i asked that gentleman can you give me a, a cup of uh, ganga water holy ganga water from this from your magic box and the gentleman laughed oh swami what are you saying it's it's not there it just looks like that hai nahi dikhta hai then he pointed to he told us i still remember sweeping his hand like this glorious vista of towering mountains and glaciers and blazing blue sky above and hundreds of feet below the ganga the deodar forest all around he said to mahatma ji ye sab hai nahi dikhta hai ye dikhta hai hai kuch nahi all of this is appearing it's not like now you have 3d movie 3d movie 4d 5d movie you can hear smell taste touch but it's all an appearance in consciousness hai nahi dikhta hai it doesn't exist it looks like that And there are different kinds of adhyasas which will explain the difference about what rajendra ji is asking alpana ji is asking will you consider giving lectures on vichar sagar is explained in detail uh i don't know i don't really have that plan right now because we must do the upanishads first that is the basis vichar sagar is a much later text nischal das ji uh wonderful text it's sort of a late vedanta text there are many nice stories about nischal das but anyway not today but yeah right now i don't have a plan for doing that Shridhama says in the fourth objection, the opponent is questioning how the knowledge of the world started first, not the, the ignorance of Brahman started. Uh, isn't that right? Yes. How did the knowledge of the world start first? Where was the first error? Where well, the first error, the first adhyasa, first superimposition? How did it start? Uh, well, it's just like Vachaspati Mishra, one of the great sub-commentators. He writes here, "Bijankuravat," like the seed and the and the plant. Which came first? You can't say. from seed to plant plant to seed seed to plant again so it's a beginningless series and that series is rooted in ignorance and therefore the question arises then next how did ignorance start then so uh, superimposition is rooted in ignorance superimposition because ignorance is beginningless superimposition is also beginningless that was that's vachaspati mishra's answer and what professor jn mahanti contributes to it is clarifying it shows that it's very logical to say ignorance is beginningless and therefore the mistakes born of ignorance can also be beginningless agyana is beginningless so adhyasa also is beginningless neela ji says 
When we see the blue sky, it is an experience of all the people, not an individual who alone is superimposing the sky. Right. So this is not a question of alone. Blue sky, um, how does it actually happen? It's not that there is a blue in the sky there. There is some uh, scattering of light by the laws of physics. And then what kicks into operation after that is our own optical equipment. So uh, it's, uh, it's not imposed by you individually, but it is, a, it is because of Ishwara's creation, the world and the sunlight and the sky is like that. And then our particular equipment of the body-mind, which makes us see it as blue. So everybody will see it as blue. An animal with a different kind of eye can see it, may not see it as blue. All right. Shravani says, so why should we try to keep the body alive and why should we treat the body? The thing is, don't make a mistake in Vavahara, in transactions. In Vavahara, in transactions, in day-to-day -day life, it should continue. What should be uh, removed is our ignorance of the underlying reality that you are Satchidananda. After you realize you are Satchidananda, you can still continue to care for this body appearance or you may not care for this body appearance uh, because if it disappears also no harm, no loss to you. Or you can care. Uh, if you care, then the body appearance will continue and make you capable of interacting with everybody else, all the other body appearances. Um, if you don't, that particular body appearance will die, but you know you are Atman, you're fine. So, but until that time, until ignorance is removed, until superimposition is removed, we must care for this body-mind because this is our only instrument of, uh, you know, spiritual life, of investigating this problem and doing sadhana and becoming enlightened. Shravani says, in the Arthapati argument, doesn't reference to Gita Upanishad etc. make it dependent on authority of Shruti and Shabda? Yes, it does. I, that's why I mentioned it in the last class that remember who the context. Here, Shankaracharya is primarily arguing against and with uh, other Vedic schools who have already accepted the authority of the Upanishads and therefore the authority of the Gita. So for them, it's not a problem that, oh, you are quoting authority. It's a source of knowledge, a pramana, shabda pramana for, for those Vedic schools. So they will have no problem. But what you are saying is, what about those who don't believe in this? What about people who don't believe in the Gita or the Upanishads? Well, they will come in the second chapter of the Brahma Sutras, which is, uh, there is a section called Tarkapada, the sec section on uh, reasoning and debate, where he engages with Buddhists and other schools uh, who do not accept the authority of the Vedas. So there he will not quote. He will not make this uh, particular Arthapatti uh, argument. This is a Shruti Arthapatti. Shruti Arthapatti means a presumption based on Upanishads, on the Shruti. That will not work against the Buddhist, for example. If you say, Krishna said, or the Kata Upanishad said, um, you are neither born nor, you die, nor do you die, and we feel we are born and we die, and therefore this must be uh, Adhyasa, superimposition. The Buddhist will reply, the Kata Upanishad could be wrong, it could be that you are born and you are dying because I don't believe the Kata Upanishad. In that case, you can't argue from Upanishads or Gita. You have to argue through just reason, logic. That's done in the second chapter. Sri Ram says, who is experiencing the Dhyasa? Not the Akartha self or Jada body-mind. But the non-existent ego, the original mistake, is this a reasonable explanation? 
who is ex experiencing the adhyasa, the effects of adhyasa, adhyasa and effects of adhyasa, is the jiva, is a sentient being, us, you, I. Well, who is the jiva? In reality, pure consciousness, Atman Brahman. But for practical purposes, a curious mixture of Atman Brahman, of pure consciousness, and body-mind. Just like, what are you experiencing when you experience a snake? You are experiencing a curious mixture of a real rope and an illusory snake. You see, when I'm, you can say that, no, when I'm seeing a snake, I'm seeing the snake. You're not, because there's no snake really. Then how are you seeing it? You're actually seeing a rope and you're mistaking it for a snake. So what you are seeing is a curious mixture of a real rope and an illusory snake, a mistaken snake, an erroneous, not that the snake is erroneous, you are <laughs> in error about the snake. Similarly, when we are in superimposition, in sam samsara, in ignorance, we are a curious mixture of a real Brahman or Atman and an illusory body-mind, body-mind world. This curious mixture of reality and unreality. I'm quoting directly from Shankaracharya. Satyanrite mithuni kritya. He says here in the, the sentence which we read, Satyanrite mithuni kritya, combining truth and falsity. What do we do? Ahamidam mamedam iti naisargikoyam loka vyavahara. There is the natural worldly existence, activities. I am this, this is mine. I am this body, I am this mind, I am this person. This body is mine, these possessions are mine, this house is mine, these relatives are mine. He says this is natural human intercourse, natural human um, behavior. And he says, Naisargika. This is natural in the sense, this doesn't, doesn't have to be taught. We are born with it. Every child will develop this, you know, an individual ego, identification with the body. Child psychology, has, they have shown that within a certain period of development of the child, all these things keep coming one after another. Yeah. Seeing oneself as separate from the world, seeing oneself as the body, this is I, and so on. So this is, he says, Shankaracharya says, Naisargika, this is natural. For breaking the adhyasa, for getting out of it, that will not happen naturally. For that, you have to turn up for Vedanta class. The last one, Vritti Sarupya Mitaratra. Is this reference to Adhyasa? It is not, but it has to be. That's where Adv Advaitin will say. It is actually Adhyasa. In um, Yoga Sutras, when mind is active, we get identified with the mind. The yogis are bothered only about the identification. But that identification is an error. That's what Adv Advaita Vedanta wants to say. See, where the yogis make a mistake is, they see the identification and they see the identification is the problem. I, pure consciousness, I identify so closely with body and mind and hence there is a problem. So I must not identify with mind and then body. So what do I have to do? I have to shut down the mind in samadhi. Whereas the Advaitin says, look, this identification is a mistake. You are never this body-mind. Even when the mind is active, you don't have to shut down the mind. Let the mind work, let it not work. It's fine. Whatever happens in the mirror, you are not there in the mirror. It's your reflection in the mirror. You're not physically connected to the mirror. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat 
Shri-Ram-Krishna-Rupanamastu. I would encourage you to uh, read the handout on those notes of Mani Dravid Shastriji and uh, explore the Adhyasa concept on your own. Next class will be much lighter. It will be more entertaining, lots of stories and fun because we're going to wrap it up. <laughs>